Hey guys, welcome back to Merlison, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, and the fandom, and the characters. My name is Miss Snowfox. And I'm Momotastic. And this week we have another episode review for you. I cannot believe how fast we are flying through season one. We are already in the latter part leading up to the finale. I can't believe it. It is going to be season one, episode nine, Excalibur, today. And I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys and Momo she's here too yeah hi (laughs) hi um amazing so we have some admin bits to take care of as usual uh we don't have any talkbacks for you this week but we will do coming up shortly we're just trying to space them out a little bit more so that we can keep these episode reviews a little bit shorter because we we do like to talk so (laughs) yeah kind of (laughs) I, th- I yeah. think the listeners have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's have some news. Merlin Fanfic Quotes on Tumblr is looking for more people to submit quotes from Merlin fics. It can be any pairing, any genre, just has to be a quote from a Merlin fic that you want to share. For more information, check them out on Tumblr. Merlin Memory Month, which is due to run again in September, has announced a list of prompts so that you can get started on creating new stuff. Have a look on Tumblr. The Arwen Tumblr blog, the Dash Dash Pendragons, has equally announced their prompts for their shipping week. Additionally, they're having a poll about who'd be interested in an Arwen fanfic challenge. Please check their blog to find out more about both of these events. The Merlin Cannon Fest would like you to know that not all episodes have been claimed yet. There are episodes from all seasons left as of today, so go and claim yours right now. In the meantime, writers should be aware that the final drafts of their after Kamlan Big Bang fix are due tomorrow on August the 20th. You will need a complete draft of at least 25,000 words to submit your work for the challenge. For more information, check their life journal. And last but not least, Winter Nights has announced their timeline for this year. Prompting starts at the end of August and sign-ups open in the middle of September. For exact dates and more information, please check the community on LifeJournal. Alright, that was all the news we have. And how about you give us a summary for this episode? Yeah, so this is taken from the Merlin Wiki as usual. And this is what we have written here. At Arthur's coming-of-age ceremony, a mysterious black knight arrives in Camelot to challenge the knights of Camelot to single combat to the death. As more and more of Camelot's knights die, it becomes apparent that a secret of Uther's past has come back to haunt him. Now Merlin must find a way to halt the revenge of a dead man before he kills Arthur and Uther. So, yeah. I feel like this sounds like like, at least half a dozen knights die when, like, not to belittle the, the deaths we do have, but it's literally two. (laughs) <laughs> that die more and more to be fair two <laughs> well, is more like yeah. one is more than none and two is more than one but like <laughs> I think it would like yeah more and more makes it sound like there were three deaths as opposed to at the very to... least yeah <laughs> possibly more <laughs> oh my god I mean you know maybe it happened off screen who knows nah I don't I think so I... I'm going to talk a lot actually about off screen in this episode review because I have some questions about who, like, about just off screen dynamics in this episode that we never talk about again. So, 
I'm really excited about that because usually we don't get a chance for much like like to be honest with you what we see is what we get in Merlin I don't find other shows like when you have a large cast of characters again the only other big fandom I can compare it to in my experience is Glee like there's a lot of talk in fandom about oh off screen this off screen that because you see little tiny background moments between someone which you then just kind of explain with whatever happened off screen or relationships get so little time spent on them that you have to fill in with what happened off screen you don't really get that in Merlin and I feel like whenever I get to do like a what happened off screen section it's really exciting (laughs) so yeah I'm really looking forward to this one but we have some statistics to do first yes the episode first aired on the 15th of November in 2008 and there were three female characters with lines this time um, of course, Morgana and Gwen were there, and they both got things to say. And then Nimue was back for this one, and she also had some stuff she needed telling. <clears throat> and then, because, you, you know, now we have one more female character than usual, we have to get absolutely more male characters as well. So this time we have seven male characters in this episode. As per usual, the four main ones are the Merlin guys and Uther. But also Sir Owen, or Sir Owen, I think he says Owen, he himself says Owen, and then Arthur later calls him Owen. So I'm not sure, entirely sure how his name is supposed to be pronounced. Uh, Sir Pelinor and, of course, Joffrey of Monmouth gets a few bits to say to Merlin. And I want to give out an honorary mention shout out to Sir Pelinor for being a new character of color. Unfortunately, he dies. Pretty quickly in this episode, so we never see him again, and we've never seen him before. But at least we had one more black character on the show. So the enemy and monster, or enemy or monster of the week was, well, Nimue, of course. But also the black knight, Sir, what was his name? Sir Tristan Dubois. Tristan Dubois. For some reason I was thinking something with C, but that's, that's not it. Yeah, so he was both the enemy and the monster. And Nimue arguably is also both, depends on how you feel about her. And it's this time, it's Uther who kills the monster of the week because he kills the Black Knight, the Wraith. And of course I did a little bit of uh, digging on like Wraiths to fill our creaturology segment of the show and what I learned is that Wraith is actually only a Scottish dialect word for ghost and again with the Scottish phrases or myths in this show even though England and Wales probably had a lot of their own to contribute but it's not the first time this show has borrowed from Scottish lore or Scottish language to fill the void of whatever I don't know. What I did find interesting is that J.R.R. Tolkien also liked to use the word in his uh, Ring trilogy because he has the Ring race. And it should be noted that those two were like spirits of fallen warriors or kings brought back by an evil force haunted by their past and they could not be killed. So, except for like, you know, special circumstances like the the king of the race he is like literally killed by a woman with her 
with her blade by being stabbed in the face. And like in this episode, it had to be the special sword that kills him. But like special circumstances to kill a wraith. So I found that interesting. Alright, so let's talk about what we didn't like about this episode. Why don't you go first? Okie dokie. Alright. Um, again, I usually do this kind of stuff chronologically. I just write it down as I'm watching. So uh, I just want to make it clear. Yeah, I actually want to make it clear. That, um, on rewatch, uh, you mentioned last time, Momo, that this uh, that you usually will skip the beginning of the end in a rewatch. And I kind of didn't really have anything to, to say. But I had the similar thing with Excalibur. I never, ever think to just put it on. Like, ever. And yet... I was watching it today and I love it. I cannot believe how good this episode is. So I don't have much bad stuff to say. Again, if if I do it, it'll all just be nitpicky. One of them is Michelle Ryan's performance as an M.Y. <laughs> just because, oh, like... I think you critiqued that before. <laughs> I have, but this time I have some, like, because... <sighs> Can she just at least try to pronounce these old English words with, like, any kind of flair? Because she just sounds like a toddler trying to speak English for the first time. <laughs> and it's so bad. Like, ugh. Like, she's fine. Like, she has moments where I'm like, oh, yeah, like, that's really menacing. But I think it's mostly her accent. Like, her accent is quite... um inconsistent like she'll kind of slip in and out of her normal like regular dialect and then she'll slip back into kind of a more um it's not that she's posh it's like you know Anthony Head doesn't speak like in any kind of uh um common dialect or anything but he uh but like he has a dialect that sounds more modern than that than when he speaks like Uther same with Bradley he that's why I find it so easy to watch him on screen because even though he still looks like Bradley and he doesn't sound like he's trying to be posh, he does curb his slight dialect differences. But with Michelle Ryan, I find like she just finds that really difficult. It, like, and the same with Angel Colby, like she really has curbed her dialect. Like in the show, not always it's successful. Like I've had a couple of instances where she's like in the early couple of episodes, I'm like. Oh, because when I first heard her on the commentary I was like oh wow you sound so different to Gwen um and I'm really impressed that she managed it again it's like one of those things where it's not like what Colin does where it's a completely different accent but I just really love that they like it's it just has a more sense of like regalness about the way they speak Amelia Fox does it as more goes and she just sounds quite different and yeah I just really appreciate that but yeah Michelle Ryan isn't really doing that so I'm just like um the cgi for when the knight rides into the throne room is so bad now um i've recently introduced a new friend of mine to merlin and me and momo were talking about this earlier and she when she saw the dragon for the first time in the dragon calls laughed <laughs> because it's obviously so old now and she was like oh god but i had that instinct today when i saw the fake glass that was like going everywhere and then when you have the wide shots um like i think that the shots of when you see him you get the side shot of him like walking through like towards arthur and i think the windows behind him 
where you see Camelot, I think that might be real because I think is this filmed in the council chamber building or in the great hall? It's the council chambers, isn't it? I have absolutely no. Well, it's not the great hall. No, then it must be the council chambers then, or something. I no, it's it's too small for the great hall, actually. Yeah. Shit, I'm trying to think. It's it's um it's the same room that they do all the banquets in, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so it's probably this. a banquet room. I can't remember if that doubles up as the because council they also have like they're also having like a banquet. I think weren't they like tables? Yeah, I just can't remember if the banquet hall is a set, the same one that they use for council chambers, for the library, for a lot of other stuff, or if it's a, a, a location. Yeah, because the background with those windows, like, it could be PFOM, but it's in the dark, so I don't think it is, because, like, otherwise, like, they've never filmed there at night. So um, that is definitely CGI or a matte painting. And when you have the shot of the night and the the camera is looking so you can see the hole that he's left behind in the window it looks like the fakest courtyard of Camelot I've ever seen in my life and I'm just like oh I've never God. even like paid attention to that I never did either but I just happened to look up and I was like oh that's a painting <laughs> I was like <laughs> And it's just like, oh god, that that takes me back to my PlayStation Two days. <laughs> um, um, so the only scene that irks me in this episode is the one, be- and I mean, I'm going to talk about it kind of in both uh, positive and negative aspects. But the Arthur and Morgana scene right after a wine um, decides to uh, take up the the gauntlet, and it's just because. Morgana is acting quite irrationally in this scene and it's not really like her. Like she is quite fiery and stuff, but the way that Morgana's behaving in this scene reminds me very much of a season three Arthur. Basically just like, I want you to break the rules because of feelings and that's it. And I'm just a bit like, you should know better, Morgana. Also, Arthur's being really calm and like rational and you can see he's really torn up about this, but there's nothing he can do because these are the rules. And at the same time when she says, but it's a fight to the death and he says, I know, but she's asking him to fight instead. So I'm not sure if either she's really like insulting Owain's ability to fight and like win or she would rather Arthur die instead (laughs) because like... What? That's such a weird thing to say. Like, it's a fight to the death, Arthur, so you do it, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's just really bad. But while we're talking about this scene, I'll just go into my kind of background, like, thinking about this whole Owain subplot really (laughs) confuses me because Morgana is clearly invested in him, like, surviving this and like i don't argue that she isn't like a compassionate person but she's really eaten up about this we have actual screen time of her convincing arthur to not let him fight we don't have that with pelinor just to be clear (laughs) just on she gives him a token to wear into battle and she's really upset on the sidelines and worried about him and it makes me wonder if this character had some kind of subplot that was written out of earlier episodes because there's no reason for him to have such a big impact on one of the protagonist's main characters that she doesn't do with anybody else. And I'm just a bit like, 
it, you know, if you wanted her to seem really torn up and eaten up and compassionate, you should have had the same thing for Sir Pelinor. But asking him to wear a token is basically like, you know, it's like swiping on Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a big deal. And I'm just like, it's so out of place for this show to do that. Like season one was a bit of an experimental time, I think, for the show. But they've never done this since. Like if a character doesn't like and don't get me wrong, like I quite like it in a way because it shows that these characters do speak to other people outside of the main four. But like they didn't really continue with it. So either this is just a weird fluke or like because there's no actual in-text reason for Morgana to like like Sir Owain because it doesn't do anything for her character. Like or and we and I mean we see a little uh, shot of Arthur being really jealous or like looking really jealous when Gwen comes in with a token. He's like, oh yeah, but like it doesn't really have anything else to do with anything. So why is it in there? And the only explanation I can kind of yeah give is that maybe Sir Owain was supposed to have a much bigger part in the show and they just decided to write it out and just keep it in this one i mean what do you think happened there because it's just like i honestly i'll go back to what i usually say it's just writers fucking up like (laughs) honestly i don't think anybody thought about this at all in any way like they just needed they just needed a good reason for morgana to be angry with arthur yeah to have lines <laughs> like i don't i don't know but like also i find it interesting that this single episode has um sparked people to i mean of course i can understand it but like people actually shipping morgana and Owain. oh i yeah completely agree with that and and well deserved as well you know yeah and i'm just let me just check because now i want to know how many fics there actually are Sir Owain slash Morgana Pendragon well apparently there aren't any on AO3 but there are Owain and Arthur Pendragon fics so well she they are dating in um in Pendragon uh, Guide How Not to Date is that the one yeah 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 Yeah. so that's they're also so having cool. really loud sex in that one. Yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> really bothers Arthur a lot. I would have thought that this one episode would have inspired more fake, honestly, but maybe it's just because, you know, it was 2008. Maybe it's all on Life Journal and I don't ever yeah, find it sure. again, probably. Like, you're not going to find it on AO3. Um, but yeah, I just feel like Awine as a character seems like he had a lot more to do with the characters' lives than the show actually shows us having. Like, he has all these, like, like I mean he has like a whole dialogue scene with Arthur which is adorable like I love the way that he tries to give him the pep talk I think it's really really lovely and it's nice to see other knights kind of like interacting with Arthur and stuff but yeah I wish that that subplot had been explored I wish that we'd seen more of him because that seems like it would have been a really interesting dynamic and you know if they wanted to give Morgana a love interest to make Arthur jealous like what other way to do it than one of his own knights like that would have been really cool but I guess we needed to see more of you know jangling keys or whatever <laughs> like that was important um so yeah that was my only my only gripe um about that uh the only other gripe i have like with the episode as a whole is the uh when uh, so the first so when a wine is killed obviously no, no one really got a good look at what happened 
only Merlin is like, oh, I'm sure I saw something. And even Gaius is like, nah, no, you didn't. When Pelinor is killed, met several people say that they can see the sword going in. And like Gwen and Morgana are sitting right next to Uther and Arthur and they're they're like intently watching. It's like Arthur's playing on his iPhone, you know, he's watching like he must have seen the sword go in and and Tristan not die. So for him to then like offer up a challenge, for me it's just like why would you do that because it's like you can see that like instead of doing that why didn't you just like nobody take up the challenge and then find a way to kill him because he's clearly not human you guys can see he's not dying and then when Uther comes in and like obviously Uther knows what's up and he's trying to convince Arthur to not fight and Arthur's like oh I can't believe you have so little faith in me which makes me think he didn't see the sword go in but I'm like how could you not you were sitting right in front of him so I'm just a bit like uh I don't know it's just like this perfectly segues into some of my problems with this episode because huh. it is the episode of potholes. We had it with a wine already. Uh, we now have it with with this, which I didn't even notice. But yeah, you're right. Also, um, so then uh, this is from later in the episode, so I'm not going chronologically here. But like, um, Gaius drugs Uth- uh, Arthur so that Arthur won't wake up in the morning to get ready for the fight at noon. Um, and locks him in his room. And I'm just like wondering how come no one has gone to wake Arthur? Like, aren't there supposed to be servants who wake him, bring him his breakfast, help him dress? Like, or at the very least, get into his armor for the fight? Like, where the fuck was Merlin all this time? Like, you can't (laughs) tell me he has been standing around in the armory ever since he got that sword looking at it, because that is, like, he got that sword done in the evening, and we see him next, like, half an hour before noon, when Uther comes down to get dressed, and I'm just like, what the actual fuck? Why did no one think it strange? That Arthur's room was locked. Like, okay. Like, apparently Arthur doesn't have a key to unlock his own room either. Like, he he rattles on that door trying to get out. And he apparently doesn't have a key for his own door? Like, You know what it probably is? He's probably the Christopher Nolan of his day. When, when asked, do you have a cell phone? He says, what do I need a cell phone for? Everyone around me has one. So probably Arthur is the same way. He's like, what do I need a key for? Everyone else has a key. Like, this is I why. Just, I just don't understand. Like, how could no one have noticed that the crown prince, who everyone saw throw down the challenge, wasn't getting up, wasn't eating, wasn't getting dressed, wasn't getting ready for the fight in any way? Like, as I said, where the fuck has Merlin been all this time? Like, even if it hadn't been Merlin's duty yet to wake Arthur, bring him breakfast, and dress him, which I doubt, like, it must have been his duty. He's his personal manservant. That's what he's supposed to do. But, like, even if Arthur was, like, at this point, no, no, Merlin, you clearly don't know what you're doing. I want someone else to do it. Like, someone had to do it. He's the fucking crown prince. (laughs) Like, what? What? Even? I just, I don't understand. (laughs) It's just, like... I didn't think about that one, but yeah, you're right. That is... Uh, it's just... It makes no sense to me at yeah. all. Another plot hole that I found was um with Excalibur. Like, 
the the dragon goes on and on about how it's so dangerous that only Arthur is allowed to use it, blah, 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 blah. And in the hands of Uther, it will bring only evil. First of all, I just find it a bit silly that the show is kind of giving us this like black and white version of good and evil and how it's like Arthur is clearly all good and Uther is clearly all evil when that doesn't work that way. And second of all, we don't actually ever get told why Excalibur is so powerful. We've seen it kill something that's already dead. But apart from that, we only see it used as a sword in like combat what is so special about it that in the hands of Uther it'll bring evil? Uther used it and nothing happened. I was <laughs> I was thinking of that as well when uh, because I was going to write it down, but then I was like, well, probably the implication is that like the sword gives you like not really power, like not in the way that you have magical power, but like I feel like that the sword will sway the fight in your favor if you fight with it because it's it's such a special sword and that whoever wields it has a higher chance of winning or like their 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 abilities are enhanced like that's a shame that's... the show didn't tell us that <laughs> yeah no that's yeah it's i'm i'm that's my head canon that that's what excalibur actually does that it enhances your natural abilities uh, or that it just sways the fight in your favor which would explain that when arthur fights against mordred you know it's really up in the air because they both have a special sword, <laughs> you know. But for but imagine if someone like Uther, who you know, would use it to kill innocent people or go and wage unnecessary wars or something, you know. If if someone had like that had a sword that won battles for him or helped or helped him win battles, I think that was the implication there. But again, the show didn't tell us. That's just me inferring stuff. Yeah. And just one final plot hole, which I never noticed until today. <laughs> Again, Uther makes a comment about how the sword is perfectly balanced. And when Merlin throws it into the lake, it clearly is a lot heavier on the handle side because it clunks down and takes quite a while for the rest of the blade to fall. <laughs> so it wasn't <laughs> like, just why would you? Ah, uh, I know it's just a small thing, but I'm like, like, it's in the details, guys. Like, you know, he made the comment that it's almost perfectly balanced. You could have just said, oh, it feels really nice. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and then you're showing me a close-up of it going, dum, dum. <laughs> and I, like, you know, you know, Will in Pirates of the Caribbean put his finger right by the, like, bottom of the sword to show that it was perfectly balanced. <laughs> you could have done that. I'm just like, ah. Uh. That was just me nitpicking, though, because I do genuinely think this episode is amazing. But go ahead with all your negatives. Yeah, okay, so now I'm going... The rest of it is going to be in chronological order. We have another showcase of Gaius hiding things from Merlin that he should probably <laughs> know about. Take a shot. <laughs> However, to his... Because, like, Gaius put, plays completely innocent, like, no, I have no idea who this Black Knight be. It could be. And then he's off to drop and he's like, did you know I realized who this Black Knight might be? <laughs> like gossiping old ladies, honestly. He's so much better at it than Merlin, though. <laughs> and like... I mean, to his credit, like, he does explain to Merlin the whole thing after the Black Knight has killed Owain. So, you know, maybe Guys was just waiting to see, because Guys at this point didn't know yet that it actually was Tristan. It just looked like someone, like it might be Tristan because he had the 
the the house crest on on his shield and everything. So he didn't know yet that it would be actually Tristan come back to life. I think that's only they f- they only find that out after Owain is killed. Like I I'm trying to remember when they went down into the crypt to check his uh his coffin. Like was that before or after Owain? That was after yeah that was after he's killed because he goes to he goes to joffrey he goes to joffrey the same night before the same night yeah and he's already pretty sure and then he goes down to the coffin i think the night after which will be when owain yeah like after he's dead no but like he goes to joffrey the night before owain gets killed yeah yeah and then the night after owain's killed he goes down into the thing so it must be the day after because it wouldn't have been the same night so yeah it will yeah but yeah, I, d- I don't understand why he wouldn't explain to Merlin about about this already, like that that you know that this was the crest of Igraine's brother or like the House of Dubois. Like I don't understand guys' reasons for not explaining to Merlin. Maybe he thought that Merlin would run to Arthur and then Arthur would start asking questions to Uther. I don't yeah. know what the reasoning is. Maybe that, but like, I mean, I would think it's like. If you start saying something like, oh, Tristan blamed Uther for Egraine's death. I know that Merlin luckily didn't ask too many questions, but that's it's a very slippery slope from there to finding out why he was angry at Uther for Egraine's death. And obviously that but is... But like, a- the implication is, probably also what Merlin actually thought, is that he was angry because Egraine died at all, or because Egraine... Because, yeah, you know, like just like Uther is upset that Igraine is dead like maybe that that Igraine had a son at all or you know it's just yeah I don't I don't really get it and it's just like another you know point on the scoreboard against Gaius because Gaius keeps secret from Merlin about things that Merlin should probably know because uh, Gaius does notice that Arthur's security is kind of Merlin's job oh my god <laughs> something something less <laughs> something less gripey but like why is Arthur announcing the beginning of the fight and not Uther, who is like sitting right next to him? Like, Arthur is the one who starts, who says like, Sir Owain fights, blah blah blah, or like he he's the one to announce the beginning of the fight. I'm just like, why is it Arthur? Just because he's now crown king and uh, he gets a new duty, but I think Uther does it in the future, like maybe not this episode, but like, just in the rest of the show, like. <laughs> Why is Arthur doing it? He's never done it before. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. And then, one more thing about Gaius. <laughs> I'm sorry. But you don't have any feelings towards Gaius, do you? <laughs> Gaius doesn't tell Merlin that he is that he gave Arthur a sleeping draft to keep him from fighting. Like, Merlin just said he already said he's trying to find a way to kill this black knight to save Arthur. Everyone was there when Arthur challenged the knight. So Gaius, who apparently has endless wisdom and knows all the things, that's why he never tells Merlin anything and assumes that Merlin is the same. He he must know that Merlin will redouble his efforts to find a way to save Arthur. Why in the name of God is he not telling Merlin that he drugged Arthur so that Arthur won't sleep, won't show up for the fight? Like, 
again, this comes down to where the fuck has Merlin been ever since the sword got forged? Because the only explanation is that Merlin spent the entire night away from his own rooms admiring this fucking sword or I don't know what the fuck he was doing, but just like... Just just sat there looking at it. <laughs> he, he just sat in the armory looking at it in the moonshine because it's so pretty. It's his one true love. Like, yeah. Well, because Arthur was... Bi- oh, hang on. But... Is this before or after he and Arthur have that massive fight? It's after they had the fight, which would explain why Merlin didn't go back in the evening to look after Arthur, even though it would still be his duty. But, like... Merlin, Merlin was a little bit butthurt. Fine, I get that. But why not go to him in the morning? Like, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> that is, yeah. <laughs> because Arthur is spending his evening practicing and then broodingly looking out of the window. Morgana is spending her evening by... Coming at, for looking yeah, at like, out of the window, and like Merlin, Merlin has already said he needs to find a way to to kill the wraith. That's when he tries to burn it, and only after that doesn't work. He goes to see the uh, he. I'm trying to remember when he tries to burn it. He tries to burn it after Arthur has made the challenge. I think. Yeah, and then when he and then when it doesn't work, I think that's when he goes. To Arthur, they have the fight, and then he goes to Gwen, I think. That no, that's sense. that's when he goes back to... He he makes a stop in the library first, because he needs to... He goes to Joffrey. Yes. Because he wants it. to find yeah. out, like, folklore about wraiths and how to kill them. And that's when he gets the idea for the sword, and then he goes to Gwen to get the sword and then there's this little cute Morgwen moment uh, Merkwen moment but like and then he goes to the dragon and has the sword forge and then he disappears and then he just he just fucks off and is never to be seen again like I like I said I get it that when Arthur just shouts at him and shouts at him and sends him away basically without actually saying get the fuck out Merlin is you know upset and he's worried so he spends all night looking for a solution and he finds one. But now that he has a solution, now that he has a magical sword with which Arthur can kill this knight and he has no doubt whatsoever that Arthur can kill it if only he has the right weapon to do it, you know. I don't understand why he doesn't, you know, go back in the morning just like, okay, I'm feeling much better about this now. Are you nervous? Yeah. I'm not nervous. You know, it's just this enormous plot hole that the entire castle of Camelot fits through. It's just... <sighs> the only way I can dis- explain it away is maybe because obviously we've seen that, like, it was quite a long evening because we have a lot of night scenes in this episode and that night is quite long because we've got, like, Arthur and Morgana and then we've got Merlin and Gwen, Merlin and Joffrey. There's and also then... Uther and Nimue at the same evening. Yeah. So it's all like I can only imagine that after everything, like once he finally gets the sword and he's so relieved, maybe he just fell asleep in the armory <laughs> and woke up like just in time. <laughs> and then Uther comes in and he's like, "Oh, what?" <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. Okay, one last thing, which also 
belongs to this and should have actually gone in chronological order earlier. But like, Merlin doesn't even start looking for a way to kill the Black Knight until Arthur is in immediate danger. Like, he already knows after a wine that this thing is not natural. Like, this is when Gaius realizes, okay, this is a wraith. It cannot be killed. And Merlin doesn't think to... And, and he Merlin finds out that the only way this thing is going to go away is if it gets his revenge. Which in this case definitely means someone's gonna die. And like, Merlin doesn't start looking for a way to kill it because he's resigned himself to, oh, well, it can't be killed until it kills someone. Like, he doesn't start looking for a way to get rid of this thing until Arthur is in danger. And this, this just like... It's probably just shoddy writing, but like... It really poses the questions about Merlin's moral compass that he's willing to let literally anyone else die as long as it's not Arthur. I just really love that. (laughs) It's like, I know it's really bad in one way, but in another way, it's like the dude has his priorities (laughs) sorted. He knows what's what. (laughs) Like, he'll just lead a nice, quiet way. That's probably where the wiki summary comes from, because it feels like more and more knights die until Merlin finally gets his act together and starts looking for a way to stop this because now Arthur is an angel. Like, imagine if Arthur hadn't thrown the challenge and if Uther had managed to prevent Arthur from taking up the challenge and actually more and more knights had died. Like, what would have been the point where Merlin goes like, well, I can't let another 50 knights die. Maybe I should actually do something about it. Well, to be fair, I did just think about this. Like, so, a wine fights and they're a little bit confused because Merlin's like, I definitely saw something but Gaius is like, I didn't and it's not entirely clear. I'm pretty sure though that Gaius actually did see it, he just didn't tell Merlin because then Gaius gets suspicious of Tristan being... Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, But then like, Pelinor fights and Merlin says to Gaius, oh, maybe you were wrong and Gaius says, oh, maybe I was or something like that because he's like really aggressive and like, it looks like maybe something good will happen and then Pelinor is like visibly killed after like Tristan was like stabbed and between him dying and Arthur throwing down the corner like that's in the same scene and then Merlin starts so I mean we can argue that it's like Arthur's life in danger as well but obviously like him the second night dying and Arthur throwing the challenge happens in the same scene so maybe it's like a combination of the two it's like Merlin's not completely heartless hopefully maybe I also got just like in my head the timeline mixed up because I was sure that Merlin found out that it was a wraith who can't be killed after Owain dies because I think because I want to say that's when it happens but maybe I'm wrong and I'm too lazy to look it up now so I can't remember either it's like that even book... though I only watched it like this morning <laughs> but the book comes out so often it's hard to remember when they get the, the i think um johnny and julian what i think it might have been this episode commentary i i wish i could remember but but like i said they all blur into one but when guys gets the book out i think one of them goes baddie of the week he's like he'd be lost without that book wouldn't you richard but <laughs> like, everything you need to know and i'm like if you are aware of how silly this writing is, why didn't you do better? <laughs> like, I just, it's like the scene in Big Bang Theory where Sheldon's like, your check engine light is on and she just carries on driving. And I'm just like, why wouldn't you check the engine? <laughs> oh my god. This show. Should we talk I, I about... Am, I am actually looking it up now. When, when do you go looking for... Okay, so that's... 
Alain's death, then Arthur and Uther have an argument about Sir Pelinor taking up the challenge. And then, then Merlin and Gaius are breaking into the crypt to check on Tristan's grave. And then they find out that it's a race. So it, I was right. It was after, after Owain, before Pelinor, that, that they find out that it's a race and that it cannot be killed. So Merlin doesn't do anything before Pelinor dies, even yeah. though he already knows. Right. Unless he's just hoping for the best. <laughs> Maybe. Hopefully, yeah. But yeah, let's move on to things we liked about this episode, because that list is actually longer in my case. It is, yeah, it is. Although... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Although um, it is, is just... like only small stuff mostly. Yeah, yeah. I will, I will like just say one last thing because it's just come to my head. When Uther says to Gaius at the end of the episode, I thought he said a wraith couldn't be killed. And like, obviously, you know, Gaius is usually right about these things. And then he, oh, I used this amazing new sword. It was made by Tom and it was given to me by Merlin, who never makes swords. And for considering that Uther is Mr. Sorcery is always the answer, he's blissfully oblivious to anything going on around him in this episode why wouldn't you be suspicious of this shiny new sword with these weird engravings that killed a wraith that can't be killed like he doesn't seem to notice i just realized this now and i'm like uther what's happening to you <laughs> like oh wow yeah i'll no. now the episode is ruined for me <laughs> <laughs> there are just too many potholes in this episode no, I still love it though. All right, okay, let's move on to good stuff then. Uh, we start with the Mirtha moments of the week, which of course we have a few to talk about. Uh, the coronation scene, very cute. Merlin is looking on, very very proud, carrying a bowl of fruit for some bizarre reason, and, and also wearing the tunic of the royal servants again. I also spotted a bunch of other people wearing it, except. Gwen apparently has no official dress code. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just the same, I guess, as when everyone at, like, Arthur's coronation is in some kind of different attire, but Merlin is still wearing his, like, regular clothes, and it's just like, ugh. <laughs> well, he had a nice jacket on. No, that was Arthur and Gwen's wedding. Oh, okay. Which is never seen again. Like, you'd think he would wear it for Arthur's coronation, but he doesn't. <laughs> it's well, like maybe that. he only got it for the wedding. The wedding was later than the coronation. That is true. That is true. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, we've already talked about how he's really started to fall for Arthur by Gates of Avalon, but he's so clearly in denial as to how into him he is already, and he's just really, really proud. Like, not that I really understand what the significance of Arthur coming of age in this exact episode has to do with anything else that happens in it, because it doesn't. Like, it's just he's crowned prince, and this is a perfect opportunity for someone to crash the party. But I feel like that could have been saved for a better plot point. Well, and also, like, the, the justification why Arthur shouldn't be fighting against his knight that can't oh, be yeah. killed, because now he is... Like, not that he wasn't the heir apparent before, but now he's actually crowned prince and definitely going to inherit the throne so he now it's really forbidden from dying 
Oh my god, it's just too much to handle. <laughs> what was like that they... thing about the plot holes? Oh, <laughs> uh, but like this is what I'm talking about with Merlin. Like I feel like it has these amazing moments that have a lot of meaning, and they just aren't put in the right place. Like the only thing I would say about this episode is watching it back. I love it so much, and it's so full of tension and drama and real stakes that I wish it had been a finale. Like I, like like this feels like a finale episode to me. The the secret being revealed is a big deal. And it's like episode nine, which is just a very weird placement for something like that. I feel like it would have been better served as episode 13 and Mort de Arthur moved to a, just a different part of the show because I do like that episode, but I feel like this would have been a really good meaty finale, but you know, like with the knights dying I mean, and stuff. If, if uh, British shows did like mid-season finales like American shows do, this would have been a good mid-season finale because you could easily put this episode like before Gates of Avalon, for example. Easily. There's nothing we learn in either Gates of Avalon or Beginning of the End that is required for enjoyment of Excalibur. You can easily put this in before. Exactly. And, and then I, it would yeah. also make like more sense for Merlin to be so invested in Arthur in like Beginning of the End, like I said last last time, you know. Exactly. That would have been much nicer. But yeah, they have a really cute moment where like, you know, Gwen calls him out on it and it's a cute uh, Mer-Gwen moment as well. You know, they're just being like really cute together. And um, the next scene that we have with Merlin and Arthur. Oh, can I just, sorry, can I just take on one thing about the coronation since we're already talking about that is um, one thing I really like, like it's actually like a, a mistake on the, like whoever was directing this this scene, but like if you watch Arthur, after he gets his little circlet on, he's kneeling there and the circlet and the circlet is clearly like over his hair because Uther just put it on without trying to make it look fashionable. And then Arthur gets up and you, you have still the entire time you you have the, the shot on Arthur's face on his head and he, he kneels there, he gets the circlet, he stands up, he looks at Uther and then he turns around and then the next shot is when he's just turned around and he has never moved his hands whatsoever. He literally just stood up and turned around without doing anything else. But now his fringe is over the circlet. <laughs> the continuity is baffling. <laughs> so clearly those are two different takes at the very least. Absolutely. And someone fucked up <laughs> oh, in the God. middle. <laughs> Uh, this is what script supervisors are for. I love it. I, I always watch for it, but just. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Oh dear! Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, while we're on the coronation scene, I'll just throw out a because as as everyone knows, we are on Armor Watch, and uh, she has a lovely little uh, moment where she looks at Arthur while he's being crowned, and she looks very, very proud as she should. Um, then the next Murtha scene we have is. Uh, I think the next Murtha scene we have is their argument. I think that's like the other, uh, the very next one. And uh, Merlin obviously charges in. And I've written down this quote because it's just like, uh, Merlin, you know that conversation we had about knocking? Now, I have some questions here because I would like to know what led to that conversation about knocking. And I would uh, refer you to a podfic that I made <laughs> called Indulgence because I feel like that was probably a similar situation. And uh, second of all, since when has he ever made this comment since? And I'm pretty sure Merlin's walked into his room without knocking before. He went, actually, 
Yeah, he has in Valiant when Arthur's brooding after he's fired him and Merlin's like, don't fight Valiant in the final. He didn't say it then. So was it just a stupid throwaway line? Like literally they come and go into each other's rooms as they please. I just, but I was like, oh, I wonder what happened to make him have that conversation. I think that like they might have had that conversation and Arthur references it this once. And then because Merlin just still doesn't do it, he gives up eventually. (laughs) This scene is the first time that we have a, kind of wise Merlin TM come into play. He's being very like preachy as he becomes in season three. <laughs> and I quite like it. Like this is the first time that he's like, you've already proved your courage. You must now prove your wisdom, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh Merlin, like I forgot that you were like this in se- like it like in these episodes in season one. I I almost like didn't remember because I thought that was a season three Merlin thing. But no, he's like being really like naggy and preachy and i love it and um yeah arthur i love that like the the physicality of this scene is so wonderful and i mean i'm not that good at arthur meta like i'm much good at merlin meta but if i i mean if i was gonna like do some meta about arthur i'd say something about like how he's just not even like looking at merlin he's just doing these maneuvers and like it's like he's just trying to like calm himself because i think he knows that like he's probably gonna die and like the fact that he's just like twirling the sword and it's like a he's just like focused and then he just lashes out and like i just yeah it's just again him and uther like i mean i think you've written this in your notes how they're so similar but like he's not really usually i mean okay arthur is more prone to physical force against arthur is also the kind of person who we have seen in the past of this season at the very least lash out at Merlin with at least words whenever he feels scared or threatened or angry. Like, we had it in, um, I think we had it in Valiant that he did that. He also did it um, in Gates of Avalon, where, you know, I mean, he was under the influence of Sophia, but she was only, like, turning him into the worst version of himself, I think. Like, obviously she was manipulating him into believing that he was in love with her and then there was a point when she actually controlled his uh like that she just took control of him and just made him walk behind her but like i think that still was only like like influencing his mind to the point that he would do what she wanted but she didn't actually like put new things in there so when he lashes out at merlin and is like we're not friends or anything i think that's you know author actually author lashing like Arthur would have lashed out at Merlin if he had been if he had actually been feeling that so yeah I and like I like you said I put this in my note that Uther is also the kind of person who lashes out angrily when he feels threatened or scared or you know just unsure of his own feelings because these two men they just don't know how to deal with their feelings at all and just like basically anything that isn't anger anyway is just like how to compute what feeling what no i what (laughs) but this is the first time we've seen arthur use like borderline physical violence with merlin like he's been like verbally aggressive but again like we talked about in the last episode review with uther grabbing morgana by the throat this is like the first time that we see Arthur, like, you know, he physically, like, like, wha- like 
I mean, he doesn't draw his sword. He like swings it in Merlin's direction and it like stops, like as in like a warning. And I think like by the look on Merlin's face, you can see he knows that Arthur doesn't mean it, but he look he still looks disappointed that like that's how he handled it. But this isn't the, f- the last time he does it. Obviously, in Sweet Dreams, he's influenced by magic again, but he does slap him around the face. And I mean, usually the comedy, like um, usually the violence is played for comedy like you know when he throws things at merlin and like it's not exact but like in but in situations like like this where it comes from like genuine temper i'm always a bit like hmm and i wonder what bradley thought about that because bradley you can see in the behind the scenes like really didn't like the slap in sweet dreams like he went to alice the director and said oh i was wondering if if we could do something other than a slap maybe i just grab him by the thing yeah and I wonder what he thought about this. Like, maybe this isn't as bad because it's not actually like he's not touching him physically with force, but still, it's quite aggressive, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Then the next Martha moment that we have, it's not a scene between them, but it's a scene between Merlin and Uther. And I love this scene. It's in the armory. And um, just to quote, uh, Uther says, you show him the most extraordinary loyalty beyond the line of duty. And Merlin says, it is my job. Oh no! Oh no! And and he says, "It is my job, sire." And he says, "Beyond the line of duty." And then Merlin pauses and he says, "Well, there is a bond between us." And Uther kind of looks at him and goes, "I'm glad. Look after him for me." And I mean, I love it. And I'm just like, I'm really surprised that Merlin and Uther didn't have more scenes together like this because this seems like it was leading somewhere, like further. That like they kind of were bonding over their shared love for Arthur, and also the fact that Uther is just basically saying like look after my son like when i'm gone it's just so cool but very bizarre at the same time <laughs> and also that he just accepts that there's a bond between his son and a servant but like at, to be fair at this point we've already had um the poison chalice <laughs> <laughs> you can't really deny it now but yeah i i wrote that i wrote it down as well the scene because it's i think like, apart from these comedic moments in uh, Gates of Avalon where Merlin goes to tell Uther that, you know, Arthur isn't attending whatever event, event because Merlin fucked up, but, like, those are just, like, comedy moments. But, like, I think this is the only scene we have between Merlin and Uther where they have an actual conversation, you know. Apart where... from the witch finder, that's the only other time. No, uh, not the, no, sorry, uh, the, uh, sins of the father after he lies for Arthur about more goes, he comes oh, to see okay. him. Okay, so, it. so they have maybe, okay, so maybe two scenes, but like in this, in this season, definitely it is the only time that they have an actual conversation with each other. And like, I mean, which is fair, he's the king, like Uther is the king and Merlin is a servant. So what, what reason has Uther to talk to servants ever? Even if they are his son's personal manservants, but I, I just like that we have this this moment between them, you know. I just yeah, it's really special because yeah, like you said, it doesn't really happen again apart from in season two, and then it doesn't happen again after that. And the only interaction they have is um, when he's a ghost, and yeah, it's just a weirdly tender moment. And yeah, I mean, and it's just going to lead into kind of my one of my main points for like, which I mean, what I'll do with the like sections, I'll just kind of break it down into like the like few big things I loved and just kind of go at them on surface level. And then like a couple of really funny things that I loved. So 
Uther, I mean, this is Uther's episode mostly. I mean, his and Arthur's like that for their relationship. And I've, I've said this before. I mean, I just love it when we get to see more of Uther. And the one thing that I loved, loved, loved about this episode was how Anthony was really able to portray this fear of losing Arthur. When we have that scene between them, when Arthur puts the gauntlet, I mean, we have a really wonderful moment where he stops Arthur from picking up the gauntlet the first time, which is such a like protective dad move. And I love that. Um, and then when they have the scene together where he's like, don't fight tomorrow. And Arthur's just being stubborn and teenagerish, And he's like, oh, I can't believe that you don't believe in me. And when Uther says to him, I forbid you, even when he says that, like when the camera's on his face, he doesn't like he's not raising his voice or shouting. He's so terrified. And I'm just like, I, we've never seen this side of him before. And I love the fact that we got to see it. And obviously it's so earned because he's been such an antagonist, really, like throughout the majority of the season. And for this to really be his time to shine, not only for Anthony as an actor, but just for the character, I think is such a wonderful thing. And obviously the tenderness with which that scene between him and Michelle Ryan, you know, is delivered. And, you know, the way he says, like the way he talks about a grain, I mean, I mean, Anthony Head is, I mean, come on. <laughs> He's it's, just it's like... Anthony Head, yeah. Well, what are you going to say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, this is a guy that knows what he's doing when it comes to his performance as Uther because he really understands this character. And I just think that, you know, the way that he says she was my heart, my soul, and you took her from me is... Just... And it, I mean, he looks so tortured in this entire episode because obviously the past has come back to haunt him. And it's just like... You know, there's a reason why he spends most of the episode in a dark room all by himself, you know, and it's just like also I think Anthony made a joke in the commentary of this episode that I feel like anytime there's a scene with me, it, it, it's me drinking. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> uh, I just need that. Oh, that someone, someone, please, <laughs> when they do their next rewatch, like do a do a toll of how many times. Like if how many times Uther is on screen and he's drinking while he's on screen. But yeah, I agree. This is a really good episode for Uther. And it's Uther gets to show emotion other than anger in this episode. You mentioned the the scene with uh, with Nimue, which of course, um, and the scene when he forbids Arthur, like all the things you just mentioned, but also the scene like at the end when he tells Arthur, you are more precious to me than my own life or whatever else he said, like more precious than yeah. whatever he says. Like literally. Yeah, he says that. Uh... Yeah, I think it's, uh, you mean more to me than anything I know, more than this entire kingdom, and certainly more than my own life. Yeah. <laughs> it's just and like... like and, and you see how gobsmacked Arthur is, because Uther has <laughs> never in his life said anything like this no. ever to him. And Arthur, like, literally says, I didn't realize you felt this way, or whatever he says. Like, something... I'm just such a disappointment to you. Yeah, and, and you're, just, you're just like, I'm so glad Uther... I'm so glad Uther opened up to his son and told him, like, now that both of them were so close to death, Uther opens up, and, like, especially on the heels of the scene with Nimue, where, you know, it's inferred that Uther regrets having Arthur because he lost Igraine in the trade. And then at the end, you have, like, you mean more to me than my own life. It's just, it's so rewarding. It is, it's just so good. To see and Their to hear. performance in this scene is second to none. The way that Bradley charges in like the teenage boy, I was supposed to fight, and how by the end he's completely transformed 
the way and that they're he joking with it. each other like 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 Arthur is leaning in like you should come and train with the knights you're gonna sort out your footwork and then it was just like I'm gonna show you footwork and it's just like the the their their relationship is restored and it's probably better like at least for a little bit it's now more lighthearted and better and friendlier now and it's just like oh it's such a good moment I know and it's like. The fact that, but what I do love though is they have that moment where he's like, y- "You are my son, and I wouldn't wish for another." And they like help hold the gaze, and then they're like, <clears throat> "You should join us and practice sometime." <laughs> I'm a man, dude. This is what we do. We should practice yeah. fighting each other more. But I'm glad that you brought up that moment where where Arthur just looks so confused because I think Bradley's facial expression in that scene, he just genuinely because it because because actually he he kind of looks confused and then. Uther has to say, what is it? And then he's like, oh, well, I thought I was a disappointment to you. Like, he just can't fathom the fact that it's otherwise. And I'm just like, oh, it was so well written, their relationship. I think it's absolutely incredible. And just Uther's, I mean, but in that scene with him and Nimue, it's weird because I always was like, oh, like, I wish they hadn't have put that line in there about her saying, you wish you didn't have a son. But on but on rewatch, I quite like it because there's so much nuance in it. He He says... Uh, she says, I would have never granted your wish, which I don't trust in way as far as I can throw her. But anyway, um, and Uther says, I wish you hadn't granted my wish. And then she turns it around to be like, oh, you wish you didn't have a son. And then his expression, he kind of like scrunches up his eyes and almost as if to be like, oh, that's not exactly what I meant. But obviously that's how it came out. And he just doesn't like argue back. But I love the fact that, yeah, I mean, he has to kind of accept the fact that if a grain, you know, like, if he hadn't have turned to magic and if a grain hadn't died, he wouldn't have Arthur. But if he didn't have Arthur, he'd still have a grain. So, you know, at least he has one that he loves, you know, still, which I think was a big turning point for him in thinking about his relationship with Arthur. And yeah, it's just such a wonderful <laughs> arc for them. I love it. Um, the second thing I love is, I mean, as everyone already must know, because we discussed this on Remedy to Cure All Ills, I'm a big fan of anything that harkens back to the 20 years earlier prequel I've been rallying for. And again, this is a 20 years earlier episode. We, I think that the way that this mystery is uncovered is just wonderful. Usually Merlin is prone to really clunky exposition. And there is a little bit of that in this episode, but really not a lot. Like the knight shows up, puts the gauntlet down. It's not like you have a side shot of, Gaius whispering to Merlin, this means that there's a challenge being issued. No, one of the knights just picks it up and accepts the challenge. And we don't really get much explanation of what it means just between the argument between Arthur and Morgana. And then scene by scene, more is kind of explained. You know, Gaius goes to Joffrey and they mention the name Tristan Dubois. Then we have the scene where we realize he's a wraith and he's, I mean, he kind of is inferred with the scene with Nimue, but it's like confirmed. And then we find out that he was a grain's brother and there's the whole thing about no one can know about the circumstances behind Arthur's birth. And then it all accumulates. The tension just builds until it all comes out in that scene with Uther and Nimue. And it's so satisfying to like fight because obviously we've had a couple of like instances of, Ooh, the secrets behind Arthur's birth. And it finally comes out again. Wish it had been a season finale. I feel like it would have been a lot more satisfying. And I just think that, it was so well done and it was paced perfectly. And again, the whole episode, I think the reason why I never go really to rewatch it and I never noticed this until today is like a lot of the episode is dark, not in tone, but just in color. Like a lot of scenes take place in night. It's a very night 
focused episode and I find that really interesting that the majority of the scenes take place at night and I guess there's just something very sinister and like unsure about that but it really adds to the mystery and I really 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 like that and I wish we'd learned more about Tristan like I mean how cool would an episode have been about the story of like Tristan coming up to the gates of Camelot and and challenging a young Uther to a duel like like, they could have even easily put that in in flashbacks in this episode they really could have it would have been absolutely wonderful I mean I mean they would have had to leave out probably one or two other scenes but they could have easily cut like Morgana trying to berate Arthur for letting Owain fight when Arthur actually didn't want Owain to fight either he was trying to Except the challenge himself, it was literally Uther who stepped off from doing this. So, like, you know, that's a scene that we didn't necessarily need. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, I love... I mean, even though I kind of complained about the whole Owain thing, I do find that because we did get a couple of scenes with him, even the 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 precious moments we did get, on a rewatch, I felt myself really invested in his fight, which is so bizarre because we have so many side characters in the show. And I really felt for him, I think, because you do have that link back to Morgana and, you know, that there might be a thing there. And you really, I, I, I really felt his loss, like when he, when he went. And I feel like it's really nice that, you know, they both get names and they both get lines. So it just makes you feel a little bit more for them. And I really appreciate, and, and I, and I was quite like, oh, like on the edge of my seat during the fight, even though I know what happens. And what is really cool, I found the, the difference between Owain and Pelinor really interesting because Owain, I was like, oh, you're not doing too well, kid. And then with Pelinor, I was just like, oh, he's clearly the more experienced fighter. And then obviously with Uther, he was just like, you know, smack and falls down left, right, and center. He wasn't like, I just, I, I love any scene in which Uther gets to like be in combat. I think they're really awesome. Um, cause he's just a badass, you know? Um, yeah. So, the Gaius and Uther stuff is just yes. fantastic. It is. It's so good. I love the line. Like this literally, I felt as if I was watching Merlin and Arthur wearing Uther and Gaius costumes because he goes, I am the king. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do. <laughs> you guys are literally there. Um, I mean, do you want to kind of talk a bit about their dynamic in this episode? Because isn't it wonderful? Yeah. It's just like, terrific. I love... I really like, I put that, put that down on my list, like, we don't see Uther coming down to Gaius's chambers often, I think, like, in the entire show, maybe two or three times, and this is one of those times when he comes down to him to ask him for help to drug Arthur, which he easily could have summoned Gaius to his own rooms to ask him that. But he also wanted to have this this heartfelt conversation about you must never tell anyone about what happened twenty years ago, dun dun dun, you know. And it's just um, I think it's really significant that Uther came down to Gaius's chambers for that. Like he that was so important to him that he that he wanted to go down and talk to talk to Gaius and just like show him, look what a good friend I am to you, how much you mean to me. I'm coming down to see you, even though I am the king. I'm stooping down to your level, you know, in this case, like making the trip myself to come see you when I could have easily have summoned you. Um, And now we're going to have a heart to heart. It's so wonderful. And I love the line. I like... 
Uther's basically just ranting, and Gaius is basically being that person, like that, like significant other almost that is just trying to like every negative comment Uther is making, he's trying to turn it into a positive. So he's like, I should never have used witchcraft. And he's like, you were desperate for an heir. You thought it was the right thing. He's like, it killed a grain. He was like, you were not to know that a grain was the yeah. life that would be sacred. And then there's a line where he's like, I always knew the past would come back to haunt me. And the guy is like, though not so literally. And I just. <laughs> That's a sass back. Like, like I said in in the Gaius and Uther character episode, I do appreciate Gaius for his sass. And I, apart from the gripes I had with him that I mentioned earlier, I actually I do like him in this episode. But like, yeah, it, he is wonderful. His, in this his relationship with Uther in this episode is really is really great. Which is funny that we didn't really talk about this at all in the Uther and Gaius episode. We didn't really mention this episode at all. No, I think probably because we knew we were going to cover it very soon, and it's like you don't ever want to repeat yourself. And there's, I mean, there is so much wonderful stuff in this episode, and I love that he mentions Uther's temper and how he thought it would always be the death of him. And like, I just love the fact that they're aware of their dynamic, and Uther knows he has a temper, and Gaius knows it. And again, like I said, it's just so bizarre how much they mirror Merlin and Arthur in that sense. And I wonder if that was intentional or if it just kind of happened that way. Um, but it's just so wonderful. Uh, Nimue as an antagonist, I. Apart from Michelle Ryan's uh, performance, I really enjoy her. I think what I, I mean, I miss having a season long antagonist that isn't one of the main four. Like Morgana for me is just not an enjoyable villain. Nimue has real reasons to be there as a villain. And I really enjoy that. And I really wish that she had uh, lived and we had seen her working with Morgana because I think that that would have been a really interesting dynamic with Morgana having very similar reasons to her for not like for wanting Uther dead. And I think that would have been much more interest. I mean, not that Morgana, like not that her having a half sister isn't interesting, but it's just like, you're just killing one villain and bringing in another that actually has very little motivation to kill Uther. Also what they could have done is easily turn him into the same character. Like why? Yeah, you know, you could have just instead of Nimue. I don't know if she's even like. Is there a Nimue in the legends? Yeah, she is the na- uh, she's the Lady of the Lake in the legends, which oh. is just yeah, which is weird as to like the fact that this. Okay, is a thing. so but like you could have easily like done Morgos as the villain who is Nimue in season one. And not kill her at the end. And called Freya Nimue, which is oh, like... called Freya Nimue, which would have made more sense in, in that way then. And it's just... Especially since, you know, they basically wear the same clothes, Nimue and Freya. And they look very similarly, like they're, they're the same type. And Amelia Fox is the superior actress, so she could have definitely... Yeah, and they could have easily gone with Morgos as the main villain for season one, and then two, when she actually reveals... And, you know, reveals herself to Morgana. The only problem is that how they introduce Morgos as a character in season two, but obviously you would do this differently if she was established in season one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would have, you know, the only way that that would maybe not work is obviously she is welcomed as a friend in Camelot and, you know, befriends Morgana and befriends Arthur if she's been a known antagonist for for 20 years. But I mean, you can always, you know, work around that. I just think that having her like having an antagonist that lives from season one to two or like, you know, that was kind of the one thing that I guess was good about Morgos was that she 
did stick around for like two seasons, which was really, really great. And I, th- um, not that she did much, but at least she was like consistent. And-, and I mean, the, the argument could have been like, that is also something that could have worked because, you know, we, we talked about this. It was alluded that Nimue used to look different 20 years ago. And we never see this on the show because they keep using the same actress. And then saying that she looks different, <laughs> that's how she was never recognized by guys who looked her in the face in the Poison Chalice. Um, like, th- you could have done something with that to explain why Morgos in season one and season two, like, if you had Morgos established as a villain in season one, and then in season two she befriends um, Arthur and then Morgana, you know, she could have just changed her look. I mean, they would have had to change actresses. But at least that would have made sense. Yeah, exactly. Or even and... they wouldn't have had to change actresses because nothing else was explained. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, but it's just like a minor thing. And I mean, she had really good, good stuff to do in this episode. And, and again, we got so much backstory as to, you know, kind of what life at court was like. And we said, like, oh, can you imagine what Camelot must have been like in its heyday almost? Like when, you know, sorcerers were welcome and it's just such a nice... Uh, thing to think about um i'm just gonna whiz through these last two points because they're like uh quite small but uh merlin and gaius's scenes make me laugh because gaius is such a dad in this episode like he's like can you go to bed and merlin's like dad i want to know more and he's just like like he said being sneaky mcsneakerson and he's not like telling him nothing and i just absolutely love it um the scene, uh, really quickly, the scene with Owain and uh, Gwen and Merlin and Arthur, when he says, I won't need any luck, I love Gwen looks to Merlin, who looks to Arthur, who just looks at the floor, and it's like, oh, he's going to die. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, you should you should take the luck, boy. You really, really take the luck, mate. Oh, um, I love the dragon's line. Um, I know that we often give him a lot of shit, but I really love the line that he had uh, where... He's like, this will have so much power. And Merlin says, I know it. And he says, you do not know. You can only imagine. You have not seen what I have seen. Perhaps if you had, you would not ask this of me. And I love it when he has scenes like that because it's like you really feel that he has seen some stuff. Like he's been around for hundreds of years. And it's like, yeah, I'd listen to him, Merlin, if I were you. Um, You know, not that he doesn't have his own agendas, but he does have some life experience. So, you know. Um, and I think that um, is pretty much it. Oh, apart from one. Oh, sorry. The ending between Gaius and Merlin. You know why I'm looking at you. It's just so beautiful. It's like Merlin just looking into a soup and it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I didn't enchant the sword. Technically, the dragon did it. <laughs> it's just really great. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's all the stuff. Again, I think it's a really solid episode. So I'm going to hand it over to Momo to carry on with her positives. Well, I just have, like, only little things that are just, like, snapshots from scenes. But, like, when Merlin is in the library talking to Joffrey, and Joffrey is, oh, yeah, we have these Chronicle of Beltane mentioning this wraith. And I'm just like, really? Chronicle of Beltane with the, with the, with the ghost stuff? Like, they, they quick, they clearly needed a name for this author or whatever like i I just (laughs) i don't understand is beltane supposed to be the author or is it literally beltane (laughs) event that is this is a chronicle of i don't (laughs) like 
it's just so weird and out of place. Like they could have taken any any name, they could have made up anything, and they go with that, and it's just confusing now. It's like, but the only the only other time we hear that name is in the Poison Chalice when Merlin's washing off, or he takes out Arthur's clothes. He's like, when were these last washed? He goes last year, sometime uh, before the Feast of Beltane. So it's like, where does this word come from? Like, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, we as a viewers who are mildly educated or even look into Merlin stuff, uh, you know, we know what Beltane is that it's uh, that's a celebration in the summer. I want to say summer equinox, probably. Yeah. I th- I well, yeah, so. that, you that know, makes sense. Like, then you have and, solstice, and, which yeah. is winter. Yeah. So like. You know, we know that, but it's just, just like, it just makes no sense. It's just weird, again, with the plot holes in this episode. It just, it caught on me, and I just, I, I find it strange. Then, coming back to the dragon, where Marlin gets down to, to the cavern, and is like, well, you know what's going on. And the dragon is like, it may surprise you, Merlin, but my knowledge of your life is not universal. <laughs> And I'm That's just like, lie. yeah, right. Tell me something I actually believe. <laughs> but yeah, that was fun. Um, then the thing that apparently when the sword gets forged in the dragon's breath, um, it acquires engravings that it didn't have before. Because the sword definitely has no engravings because that would be weird for like Tom to put runes on the sword. Like, first of all, where would Tom learn how to read runes? And uh, But then, of course, it gets begotten in the dragon's breath, and then suddenly there are markings on it. And I'm just like, that is some shit magical fire breath you have there, because, wow, <laughs> you can add details to stuff. <laughs> then you mentioned the CGI in the, in the don't like department, and, like, apart from the quality... I'm really amazed by how much CGI they put in this episode because there's a dragon who 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 uh, breathes fire for the first time. You have a a floating sword. You also have that scene with like basically any scene with the Black Knight where he shows up at court with the weird flying glass, and then also when his helmet falls off and you have you know the rest of him and and then yeah. he gets stabbed and explodes like there's a lot of cgi in this episode when normally they try to like limit themselves to like one thing yeah then one th- one other thing which i just find like funny in in context is that like anytime they have large crowds at like joustings or fights like they have in this one all the extras in the stands are of course french people and it's just I find it so incredibly amusing when you have French people applauding a British king it's just did they build the um uh, the arena set in France or in Wales I don't know someone in the comments let us know um because I I don't I don't know for sure if it was Wales or France, but I'm genuinely curious where it was. But even if it's Wales, you can imagine they imported a lot of French extras too. Listen, even if it was Wales. Oh my god, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, and then uh only only two more things. Um near the end when Gaius treats Uther's wounds, 
and then they have their conversation and then Arthur storms in because he finally found the key to his room and got out. <laughs> or maybe Merlin went and let him out. I don't know. Oh my god. However, Arthur got out of his room in the end. He storms into this uh, council chamber where Uther is casually sitting on the table being treated. I mean, why not do Shot this in guys' chambers? Why not do this in Uther's private chambers? No, it has to be on the table in the council chamber. Anyway, Arthur storms in and guys is like, so quick to scamper out of there. He, he just, he sees Arthur, he sees Arthur's murderous glare, and he's just like, I gotta go. <laughs> well, you have to understand, Gaius, like, has, like, helped raise that kid. He knows what he's capable of. Yeah, and he's also very aware that Arthur knows exactly who drugged him to sleep so long. He's just like, oh, I'm not getting into this. I'm gone. <laughs> Listen, Gaius has the self-preservation of and like the best. Yeah, that's why he survives until the end. <laughs> now I just really want a fic or even like the like a prequel episode where Gaius and Uther like I mean obviously it's mostly Uther but Gaius I imagine would have done a lot of it too being the commoner like helping to raise a young Arthur. <laughs> and like I just know it would be like baby Simba just getting into trouble all the time. Would that make Gaius a zoo? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> and him, and like, who would be, uh, yeah, and then like, Morgana would be Nala, who's just helping Arthur. And it's just like, Gaius is like, I thought that I had done my, like, I've done my dues. Like, I have, like, paid my debts off with raising these two teenagers. I didn't even ask for Morgana when she came here at age 12. And now I've got the. <laughs> I mean, we really don't give him enough credit in this podcast. Well, you do, I don't. (laughs) Anyway, since we're talking about Uther and guys in this episode... uh, Oh no, sorry. Since we were talking about this in the Uther and guys episode, how often does Uther actually say Merlin's name in the entire show? Well, he says it at least once in this episode. He does. I wrote it down too. (laughs) (laughs) Because he says, Merlin gave it to me, the sword. And I was just like, oh, you said his name. (laughs) I think so. I literally wrote it down the second I heard it. I was like, we did mention that he (laughs) he said it once. But yeah, that was amazing. Um, I I literally just have like a couple more things I completely forgot about. Number one. Uh, the second part of Armor Watch, they have a second scene in this episode, which is wonderful, which is when she asks him not to fight tomorrow, which is a bit superfluous. I wish they had had her have a vision of him, like, dying or something to, like, make it more, like, why she should come and tell him that. But, you know, I'm never gonna complain to more Armor because I will never see them again after this season. And I also am on, obviously, Merwen Watch, which they have you love it too. They have a cute little scene together, and she's so hung up on him still. I'm like, oh. I would do man. anything for Mer- for you, Merlin. Well, not obviously not anything. <laughs> and then there's this there's this awkward little pause, and she's like, "What did you want?" <laughs> and Merlin is just looking at her like, "Are you done <laughs> embarrassing yourself?" Do you think he knows like that she likes him by this point? No, <laughs> honestly, I don't. I, think. I don't. 
I thought that, I don't know, I thought that that little look might have been a bit like, oh, because obviously they've kissed by this point, so he probably, well, I she, mean. she kissed him. Yeah, which is like. And so she, he must... she wrote it off as, oh, I'm so relieved you're alive. God, like, he's so dim. Like, it's just unbelievable. Well, he's a teenage boy. What do you expect? <laughs> I just can't. But yeah, like, their entire dynamic in this episode is so cute. And I love, like, I always, like, it's not that I forget, but I always, like, I almost subconsciously forget that there's so much Merwin in this episode like it's just really really nice um and the other thing when Excalibur is forged there's some there's something about the fact that it's such a pivotal moment like for the legends and such a like big like set piece in the show and the music they use there's something about it that just gets me really emotional every time I see it it's just like really like and the way Merlin like is staring at it like with all like this thing of magic that's just been created before his eyes and I'm like oh so beautiful so beautiful but yeah that's that's everything this is such a good episode i need to watch it more often honestly like it's just oh god they really just screwed anthony and uh richard over like for like any good content in any of the future seasons like i'm just so upset because these are guys that are like at the top of their game in terms of their professions and you gave them stories like goblins gold like, I'm sure Richard had fun doing it, but maybe he did. I mean, yeah, I mean, he seems like he's a good sport. He probably had fun doing it. But I'm like, do better. Do better. Do more season one related stuff. But yeah, that, yeah we've, we've, we've really gone into it here. It's like, I feel like these uh, episode reviews, guys, probably won't be as short as they once were. <laughs> like, I feel like when we did Dragon's Call, it was just kind of like, Oh yeah, banter. Oh yeah, Mirtha. Oh yeah, this. And now we're like, but exis- but existentially, are we all really alone? <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't really go into the philosophical stuff this time. That was that was last time. But you know, we we shall be in the future again. We could ask the question of: Is it you know, if you kill a race, are you? Really Are you a murderer, or is it really an act of murder if he's already dead? <laughs> <laughs> or are you just medieval Ghostbusters? Answer it in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Philosophical debates this week include murder, <laughs> incest, <laughs> because we're on armor watch until the end of season one. Um, also hinted at the fact that perhaps Uther and Morgana should have gotten married. <laughs> And the and the guys Joffrey shipping because they also had a scene together. They did, yeah. I didn't even go into that, but like Merlin and Joffrey's scene is hilarious because he like he's like, How did you get in here? The door was open. No, I locked it. He's like, he's not having any of it. And then Merlin is like, Well, I'm looking for such and such. Do you have anything like this? And and Joffrey really is like, Yes, I believe I do. And then he starts looking, and Merlin's like maybe a bit faster, I'm in a hurry, and Joffrey's like, well, young people always seem to be. <laughs> it's just, like, so done. He's just like, listen, if you don't have time for me, I won't help you. I don't have time for you either. <laughs> oh, it's just beautiful. Like, everyone... He's, he's, I, I relate so much to Joffrey because he doesn't want people in his library. He just wants to be left alone in his library, which is much how I feel about my job. And I also work in a library. <laughs> I just want people to leave me alone. <laughs> Uh, yeah I like this episode I think I think I need to like sit down and really like think about my top 
episodes like throughout the show because I think I think after after a rewatch this one is probably like quite high up there I just think it's so good and for as little Martha as there is in it it just shows how strong everything else is in this episode and like I said just give me more Anthony Head because he deserved more (laughs) in this show damn it but yeah so now that we've beaten that horse to death (laughs) (laughs) next week what are we talking about next week, Momo? I need to remind myself. We're, we're doing uh, another character analysis, this time for Leon and Gwen. And if all things go well, we'll have two guests for it. I'm definitely more inclined to talk about Gwen. You can say a lot more about Gwen than you can about Leon. Leon still isn't a very deeply developed character so we put them together just so that Leon wouldn't be so alone and so short and also because they're good lads <laughs> they're both good lads with with really nice hair <laughs> so we're gonna be having the uh the hair next week with <laughs> Gwen and Leon and we're very excited about that and uh yeah we hope you enjoyed this episode review and hope you'll comment on all of our points uh in the meantime I'm Miss Snowfox. And I've been Momotastic. Bye. Bye.